0: Welcome back for episode 20 of Lymphedema Podcast. Summer doesn't officially start for a few more weeks, but Texas doesn't know that. The temperature has already hit 90 degrees at least once, and the humidity has been insane. Today, we're going to talk about ways to beat the summer heat. Speaking of heat, this seems like a great time to introduce today's guest. He is a Texas native with primary lymphedema in his leg and is the newest celebrity ambassador for the Lymphatic Education and Research Network. In September, he will be the keynote presenter for the Lymphedema Patient Symposium in Boston. Oh, and you may recognize his name from the current season of The Bachelorette. I'm so happy to introduce my new friend, Cameron Ayala, to the Lymphedema Podcast community. Cam, welcome to the show.
1: Awesome, thank you, Betty, for having me. Really excited to be here and uh, have a meaningful conversation.
0: You're welcome. First, I want to thank you for just everything you're doing for our lymphedema community to bring awareness to the disease. You will positively impact so many people's lives as a Learn ambassador.
1: Yeah, you know, one quote really sticks out to me um, that one of my mentors told me a couple of days ago when she discovered my you know, involvement in Learn and wanting to be an ambassador um, for lymphedema. And the quote is, the purpose of life is discovering our gift the meaning of life is giving it away to others. And I, I truly, you know, being, you know, in the national you know, spotlight, so to speak, you know, I'm going to have an opportunity to share my story uh, about my history with lymphedema, and hopefully that can give some inspiration to people who've been, you know, suffering in silence and haven't had the courage to speak up and have a conversation about their condition. And Hopefully that urges other you know, doctors and researchers to prioritize lymphedema, and we live to see the day where they find a cure, at least better treatment options for all the patients out there and their families.
0: Yeah, and you're so right, because the more voices there are and the louder we get, the m- they're going to have to listen to us. The more stories we can tell and the more people's attention we can get, that's the way we're going to make way in the medical community.
1: Exactly. And, you know, people, they don't know what they don't know. And if you know, you don't speak up about it or you don't have people speaking up on your behalf, you know, you just won't get any progress anytime soon. So that's my new mission in, in my life is to be a voice and to be some inspiration for those who feel like they haven't had a spokesperson or someone that they could relate to in this, uh, this condition of lymphedema.
0: So you have a form of primary lymphedema, Correct.
1: Yep, that is correct. So I was um, born with lymphedema, so a congenital lymphedema, uh, and um, I actually didn't notice really any swelling or any issues until the year 2000. So doing the math, I was around 11 or 12 years old, and you know that's when I started kind of going through my major growth spurts and you know hitting puberty, and I actually had a leg length discrepancy. Uh, At one point, my right leg was about an inch and a half shorter than my left. And after I had a bone biopsy to um, kind of see what was going on from a bone health standpoint, that surgery really kind of kick-started the um, swelling and the, the lymphedema to manifest itself.
0: So when were you officially diagnosed with lymphedema? Was it after those surgeries or after birth?
1: Yeah, it was definitely after the surgery and it wasn't even immediately after the surgery. You know, as I was recovering from that bone biopsy on my right Distal femur, um, you know, the swelling didn't happen immediately. It was probably like a month or two post-op, and you know, I had never experienced that type of swelling before. So initially, you know, my parents and myself thought, "Oh, it's just you know, post-op swelling. Maybe it's actually the muscle mass starting to increase because I was doing physical therapy, you know, working on my range of motion, and you know, building the strength in that in that knee that had just recently been operated on." Um, but yeah, it took about uh, about a year to get the official diagnosis that it was uh, indeed lymphedema in my in my right knee.
0: I know I've had a lot of patients in the clinic who they correlate their onset of swelling with a surgery or some sort of an injury. That is so interesting that the leg length discrepancy is what appeared first.
1: Correct. Yeah, and it was really when I was playing little league basketball that. Some of the parents and the coaches noticed that I was kind of kind of almost limping and skipping when I was running up and down the basketball court, and I was having a little bit of lower back pain. So that's what kind of set off the signal that I needed to go to you know, an orthopedic doctor just to get some basic x-rays done. And when they did the x-rays, that's where they were able to very quickly identify the leg length discrepancy and also notice some kind of mystery black spots on my right distal femur which you know, they assumed it could have been something like cancer, so they wanted to go in and do a biopsy and you know figure out what it was. But it was really after that surgery. like I said, a couple of weeks, about a month or so afterwards, that I started having that severe swelling that was not going down, um, you know, when I was icing it and elevating it. So that's when we needed to seek out some answers that most of the orthopedic doctors uh, in Houston couldn't figure out.
0: And even after you were diagnosed with the lymphedema, you still had quite the journey. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, just getting the diagnosis was a journey in itself. I'm sure as a lot of patients who may be listening to this podcast or family members of patients, you know, I think there's a a general consensus that, you know, most of the doctors that they're seeing just don't really know much about lymphedema um, or know what lymphedema is at all. And that was the biggest, you know, hurdle was, was getting the diagnosis in the first place. And then once we had the diagnosis, it's like, okay, like any, you know, parent or in my case, a patient wanted to know, it's like, is there a cure? What's the treatment like? What's the recovery like? And I think the most frustrating part was is knowing that at that time and still, so, you know, current day, there isn't a cure. It's something that you're going to have to live with. And, you know, your success in, in terms of mobility and, you know, an active lifestyle is very much self-dependent upon you knowing how to do, you know, the maintenance that's needed. Things like wearing your compression garments, uh, things like doing your MLD, you know, which stands for manual lymph drainage, things like eating the right types of food and staying hydrated and exercise that's not going to overly exert your lymphatic system and, and doing post-exercise things like wearing a uh, a lymphatic pump. So... Those are all things that, you know, as a, you know, 11, 12 year old kid who just wanted to be active and play sports with his friends, you know, it was very disheartening because, you know, I was a three sport athlete and, you know, the summer of my first surgery, you know, I missed out on all the fun camping trips and playing summer little league. And, you know, I just didn't know what the future looked like for me because no doctor and this is granted, this was in Houston, Texas, which has one of the top medical centers in the united states and actually in the world and we still weren't getting any definitive consensus from any of these doctors or specialists so you know that can be very disheartening for for any patient and especially you know the parents of a patient who just want what's best for their child and to get you know treatment or or cure for for a disease or condition that they have
0: so i'm looking here at your medical timeline that you had shared with me earlier and i think it's i think it's Helpful to mention because I know in the clinic and in the relationships that I've built through lymphedema podcast that there are so many related issues that come along with lymphedema. It's not just the swelling, mm-hmm. and so, and so I noticed here in your timeline that you have had infections, you've had multiple surgeries. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and how that affected you, or maybe?
1: Yeah. So I think. You know, there's there's a common misconception for um, for lymphedema in general, where people just assume, oh, that's just water weight. That's just uh, it's just cosmetic. You know, there's there's no other serious implications that can come from having lymphedema, whether it's primary or secondary lymphedema. And that's just that's not the case. Uh, for me, in particular, uh, in 2014, so a couple of years ago, um, I was getting off work. And you know, at that time I was still living a pretty active lifestyle. You know, I worked out, you know, two or three times a week while balancing, you know, my full time job, you know, lived a pretty social life. We'd go to concerts and, you know, go out to the bars and, you know, house parties with my friends. But one afternoon I was just wrapping up a happy hour with a client, and as I was stepping out of my truck, my right knee locked up on me. And it wasn't like I had an acute injury or I had torn something, but as it was locking up, I just started feeling very feverish and started experiencing this excruciating pain in my knee that I had never felt before. It was almost kind of a sensation that someone was taking like, you know, a hacksaw because I could feel the pain deep within the bone itself. And my first you know, initial reaction is like, oh, my goodness, I think I'm having a stroke or a blood clot because of how quickly it was, um, you know, the pain was increasing and my fever was increasing. So I had my roommate rush me to the hospital and they did a, an aspiration, which for the listeners who are not sure that is, it's basically when they just take a needle and uh, locally drain the joint fluid surrounding the knee to remove some of the pressure. And I'll never forget once they you know, were draining that, um, the knee and you can kind of see that joint fluid filling up in the syringe, it was a kind of a murky brown, almost a chocolate milk color. And I just remember thinking, you know, I've never seen joint fluid before, but that surely does not look normal. (laughs) And, you know, the doctors were very quickly able to identify that, yes, you definitely have an infection. We're not sure which type of infection, but we need to go in and operate immediately and, and drain that knee, you know, thoroughly. So it turned out that that first episode of infection in 2014 was group B strep which for the listeners out there who know what group b strep is or even if you did just a basic google search the thing that's most fascinating about group b strep is that it's really common amongst pregnant women and for any you know listeners out there who've had children or have been pregnant and they know you know when they go for their checkups that's something that the doctors check very regularly for because if a woman who is pregnant is you know about to give birth she can very easily pass on the group b strep to her child, which is, you know, can be very fatal at, uh, you know, at birth for a newborn. So the doctors, uh, infectious disease doctors there in Houston, were very fascinated and actually kind of puzzled how a 26-year-old male who, for all intents and purposes, was relatively healthy, how he got group B strep in his knee, of all places. And that's still kind of a million-dollar question as to why I had that particular strain of strep. And as a result, you know, they gave me um, pretty heavy antibiotics. So I had to have a pick line um, IV put into my right bicep, and that was uh, six to eight weeks of, of treatment, which, you know, anybody who's been on heavy antibiotics for, you know, that long of a time, you know, the, the wear and tear that it has on your internal organs and just your overall, you know, mentality. You know, you kind of feel lethargic, and you just, you're just not your true self, so... You know, fast forward to 2017, so at the course of those, you know, three and a half, four years, I had the infection reoccur six different times, and, you know, that came with me going to several different specialty hospitals, like the Mayo Clinic in Arizona, Cedar cyanide Hospital when I was living in Los Angeles, and, you know, again, the, um, you know, the medical center in, in Houston, Texas, and really none of the doctors could come up with a consensus other than, you know, you have this chronic reoccurring infection in your knee and it's going to continue to reoccur. So the only thing that we feel is going to be able to resolve that is to do an above-the-knee amputation. And, you know, that was obviously pretty disheartening to hear. You know, as, you know, a relatively healthy 27-year-old, you know, you start questioning, how am I going to be able to, you know, run again, ride a bike again? You know, I can pretty much kiss, you know, basketball goodbye. You know, that was a sport that I even played my freshman year in college and, you know, enjoyed playing kind of leisurely, you know, after work. And, you know, how am I going to be able to play Little League sports with my my future children? You know, all these, all these thoughts kind of, you know, soiled my mind and, You know, I actually even had the amputation procedure scheduled with a doctor, a highly reputable orthopedic oncologist in Austin, Texas, where I was living at the time. And two weeks before I was supposed to have that surgery, I got a call from the Boston Children's Hospital. And I'd pretty much written them off because i had sent them a request for an appointment nine months prior and even sent them a binder of all my medical records. But one of the issues that you run into as a patient when you're an adult is a lot of these top specialty clinics are children's hospitals and unfortunately they don't have a lot of open time slots for non-pediatric patients such as myself but you know call it divine intervention or just coincidence or timing whatever your belief system may be but for me I was extremely lucky to have the Boston Children's Hospital's uh, vascular anomaly clinic work out um some availability to see me for a couple of days in late December. So basically I uh, rescheduled the amputation. I said, oh, let's put this one on hold for now. I got one more uh, hospital uh, that I want to visit and, and see if that clinic can provide some some deeper insights before I do something you know, irreversible like an amputation. And at Boston Children's Hospital, they performed a lymphangiogram imaging procedure. So for the listeners out there who aren't familiar with that, essentially they just inject some dye into, um, into the webbings of your toes, kind of starting from the bottom, kind of like uh, an, MRI, but an MRI of the lymphatic system. They want to see if there's any um, backflow anywhere or um, where there may be some additional issues. And what they were able to identify from that imaging procedure is that the lymphatic channels in my abdominal region were kind of coiled up, picture it like a, a tangled up garden hose. And when you have that tangled up garden hose and you're trying to turn the water pressure on, you're going to have some backflowing. And that is essentially what was happening with my lymphatic system. When that lymphatic fluid was trying to drain through my abdominal region, it was like a traffic jam, and that lymphatic fluid started to backflow and essentially reflux down into my right knee because that was the most vulnerable um, lymphatic part of my body because of all the surgery and the scar tissue there. And over time, when that lymphatic fluid wasn't draining that's how the infection was continuing to reoccur there. So long story short, if I would have not seen the Boston Children's Hospital and gotten that lymphangiogram procedure, I would have received an amputation that wouldn't have even fixed the root cause and probably would have killed me.
0: I can't even <laughs> my face right now. <laughs> oh man. Cam, that is loaded. Yeah. I know that I had the conversation with Frank Aviles. He's an instructor for the wound care segment with the Academy of Lymphatic Studies. He's become a friend of mine, and he was on the wound care episode way early on in the podcast. And he and I discussed this exact thing, but it was more related to wounds and cellulitis. Where a patient will go to the emergency room with cellulitis or lymphoria or something that no one else can really put in a box that, you know, is a wound specifically, they'll say, "Mm, we should need to talk about an amputation. You know, I'm really sorry to tell you this. You're going to lose your leg or you're going to lose your foot or just amputation is not the answer. And as soon as you were telling me that, I just kept thinking, oh my gosh, I know he didn't go through with it because I know now that you have both. I mean, I knew already that you did not have an amputation, but I just kept, I was so stressed out for you just then. I'm so sorry. Yeah.
1: And you know, it's scary because when you hear amputation, you you kind of go to a dark place in your head because you start thinking of all the things that you were able to do that you won't be able to do again. Or it's going to take a lot of work and therapy and time and patience to be able to do some of those remedial things, you know, like I'm considering myself to be a hopeless romantic so I was thinking, oh, how am I going to be able to have my first, you know, dance with my wife on our wedding day? And, you know, you start thinking of all the limitations that, you know, would come that way. But then me being kind of the person that I am, I, I still tried to find the lighter side of it and, and think that, you know, hey, it could be way worse. I'm just I'm happy to be alive. And, you know, me of all people, I would definitely, you know, find the humor in it and, and would make the best out of that situation. But I am just so extremely blessed that I didn't have to go through with that procedure that would have frankly caused more harm than, than good. Man.
0: Wow. I'm still in shock, I think. That's a lot. But it's common. It's so common for the doctors to Jump to amputation. So one, I'm so glad you didn't go through with it. And two, I'm so glad that Boston called. Even if it took so long to get that appointment in, it was perfect timing that absolutely saved you from going through a procedure you could not reverse.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Can you tell us what kind of leg garments you wear now or like what's your compression routine looking like?
1: Sure, sure. So, you know, admittedly, like a lot of lymphedema patients, I...
0: Don't probably say it, don't, Cam. Don't I say it. I probably
1: don't wear my compression garments as frequently as I should, or <sighs> I didn't in the past, but I have <laughs> turned a leaf. I do have a solution now. And um, I met with one of my lymphedema massage therapists. She's based out of Stockton, California, uh, Karen Ashworth, and she helped me kind of come up with a solution. But anytime that I'm working out or doing a strenuous activity, I had to have a custom compression garment made uh, by a company called um, Bioconcepts. And the reason why Bioconcepts worked so well for me is when I first got my diagnosis of lymphedema and was able to go through physical therapy and start getting my range of motion back and essentially was able to start, you know, playing active sports again. You know, basketball is my main sport. And the issue with basketball, unlike a lot of sports, is you don't have any padding. It's just you your jersey, and the hardwood. And so wearing a, you know, a compression garment, you know, by a popular manufacturer like the Jopes, for example, you know, it's great for the compression element. But if I'm diving on the basketball court, I I can't tell you how many Jopes compression stockings I went through. And, you know, obviously, for, for those of you who are familiar with or a lot of the other, you know, medical-grade compression garments, you know they're not cheap, and most of the time they're not covered by insurance. So I think my parents got tired of spending anywhere from $75 to uh, almost $200 per compression garment that I was ripping pretty frequently on the basketball court. We had to find a different solution for me that had not only the compression, but the durability needed to withstand, you know, the physical demands of the game. So uh, the company BioConcepts um, had a compression garment custom-made for me that the material was almost kind of like a neoprene. So, you know, for those who don't know neoprene, it's kind of that same material that they make wetsuits in for, you know, people who do like surfing or scuba diving. Um so it was thick and still breathable because the other thing too I I had to make sure that, you know, my leg could breathe, you know, if I'm running up and down the basketball court and sweating profusely. And also it had to be durable enough to withstand, you know, hitting the hitting the hardwood. So, um I still those um Bio concepts compression garments, when I'm doing kind of more of the heavier physical activity, like working out or going on bike rides or things of that nature. But for travel, because as a lot of uh, lymphedema patients may be aware, you know, when you're flying on an airplane with that increased pressure, it's not great for your lymphatic system. So having, you know, compression garments um, while you're traveling is, is critical. I've been doing a lot of traveling as of recently. So, I uh, was told um, from one of my massage therapists to look at a company called BioFlex. That's B-I-O-F-L-E-C-T. And um, they have compression leggings that uh, they're non-medical grade, but they're, they're great for me because I wear them frequently. You know, I, living in Texas, it's very hot, especially, you know, when you're at work where you're wearing jeans or slacks or work pants. You know, you want to be able to be comfortable throughout the day. Um, regardless of the swelling. So with BioFlex, it's almost kind of like yoga pants. They breathe really well, but they provide just enough of compression for me throughout the day that is better than wearing nothing. So uh, I know a lot of people struggle with wearing, you know, kind of the thicker medical grade compression guards, um, you know, day in and day out, you know, wear it as long as you can. But Try to get something that's non-medical, but still provides some level of compression. Because some level of compression is obviously better than, than none. I'm sure Betty would agree with that.
0: I do agree with that, and I didn't mean to get on to you, for <laughs> you were telling me you didn't wear your no, the time. No, I,
1: I deserve to be, you know, scolded <laughs> for that from time to time. Because I mean, as any lymphedema patient knows, I mean, compression is is key to to your maintenance and to your success of of you know managing your your lymphedema.
0: So I was going to throw it out there because I know with summer coming up, people are trying to find whatever garment might work better for them, how they can wear shorts and wear their compression and things like that. There's a company, and I think it's Juzo, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Mm-hmm. That I've you worn Juzo in the past, yeah.
0: You can get like a single leg legging. So not just a thigh high, but a lot of times you need that abdominal compression as well. Or in some yes. cases, the genital compression component. Exactly. So it's like yoga pants with one leg cut off, but it's made that way and it's got a seam and it kind of goes down to above the knee, probably on the other leg that doesn't have full compression. And that's a really good option. And I believe most of the time those are custom made, but they last you a long time. And if that's kind of your summer go-to, so maybe you don't have to wear compression on both legs or you want one leg to breathe, then that's a good option too. Um, And then I know that Juzo has the summer colors, And those are always cute if you're not really just into like black or beige and you want something else. So those are always just some options to kind of play it up in the summer too.
1: Yes. And quick shout out to all of the compression manufacturers out there who are becoming a little bit more fashion forward and and kind of breaking the mold of just the medicinal, you know, beige and black stockings. Because, you know, with lymphedema, it's something that you have to live with every single day. And, you know... The average person who doesn't have lymphedema doesn't have to worry about accessorizing your wearing clothes that doesn't clash with their, with their garment. So um, I encourage those manufacturers out there who are kind of stuck on those set colors to maybe break the mold a little bit. I know it, it can cost money from a manufacturing perspective, but the patients absolutely appreciate it. I know I do.
0: It's just a game changer. I mean, that's just the best way to put it, that there are so many people who I know will order – one product over another because they have the option of either different colors or a print or a tie dye. And it just makes them feel better. If they're going to have to wear something day after day, then why not? I mean, that's their expression. That's how they get to express themselves.
1: I was, um, it's funny you mentioned that the whole notion of like expressing yourself. So I was um, chatting with uh, a good friend of mine, Kathy Bates, not to, not to name drop too much here. But um, she was admiring uh, some of the tattoos that I have on my, on my left arm, and she said that she wished that she could get tattoos on her arm because, you know, she can cover it up with the Hollywood makeup, but she didn't want to run the risk of, you know, getting an infection because she has lymphedema in, in both of her uh, both of her arms. But there's actually a manufacturer out there called Lymphedivas. I don't know if you guys have heard of them, but Lymphedivas um, can make custom designs and If there was a tattoo design, for example, that, you know, you wanted, they can actually customize that so you can still kind of have that appearance of what looks like a sleeve tattoo, but it's also, you know, a compression garment. So it's kind of a a win-win and it's awesome that other companies out there are getting a little bit more diverse in their patterns and, and, you know, colors that they're allowing people to not be embarrassed with their lymphedema, but also have a form of self-expression with their compression garments, which I think is really cool.
0: You just gave me my next marketing idea. I'm going to get lymphedema podcast arm sleeves printed up.
1: There you go. <laughs> i start yeah, sending my perfect. face
0: out with people.
1: <laughs> yeah. Maybe get in some like old English font too so it kind of looks like a tattoo. I'd, I'd rock right. one of those on my leg.
0: <laughs> Hardcore. <laughs> yep. So what are some other tips you have for managing the effects of summer on your lymphedema?
1: Yeah, great question. So um, for all the listeners out there, so I live in Austin, Texas, which is central Texas. And um, as as Betty can agree, you know, a lot of different cities in Texas, you know, we get in the triple digits, so 100 plus degrees for a vast majority of the summer. So not only is the heat index really bad, but the humidity is pretty, pretty harsh, too. And, um, you know, obviously, heat is not optimal for lymphedema because it increases inflammation. And with that increase of inflammation, you're going to have a decrease in lymphatic flow efficiency. So I have four um, kind of tips that um, are great for year round, um, but also specifically for summer. So the first one I'll start out with is, is water therapy. Um, So if you have access to, you know, a community swimming pool, whether it's at you know, YMCA or a gym, or even your backyard, or maybe even a, a lake. If, it's, if the water's clean, big thing, big thing <laughs> there, make sure the water's clean. You don't want to have any open wounds get infected. But if we're talking about a pool, for example, um, the best water therapy for lymphedema is going to be deep water. And by that, I mean, here's a, a quick little calculation um, that's important. So for every foot of water, it gives you 225 millimeters of mercury compression, which I know sounds a little bit intense, and it's still kind of hard for me to grasp. So picture this, if you're standing in three feet of water, you're getting about 70 millimeters of compression at your feet. So the deeper the water, the better, because since water is gradient, you're going to receive more pressure, and that's just going to help um, with the lymphatic um, flow efficiency. So one thing that you can get at pretty much, you know, any um, outdoor sports, whether it's REI Academy or whatever stores you guys have there in your respective area is try to get one of the large or the longer uh, scuba snorkels. So essentially you can do underwater swimming for a longer period of time, Uh, or if you just want to hold your breath and resurface, but the deeper in the water you can get, the better it is for the water therapy because that's just going to increase the pressure, which is going to overall, um, increase your lymphatic fluid, um, flow. So, uh, and one other thing too, um, for those of you who are pretty proficient or are or, or, um, you know pretty regular with your MLD with your manual lymphatic draining, if you can do some of those exercises underwater, it's going to be even more effective. So, for people who are you know working under the arms or um, the lower extremity, whether it's the groin or behind the knee, if you can do some of those MLD exercises underwater, it's just going to be even more effective. So. Uh, Any questions on urine, Betty, about tip number one, which is kind of the the deeper water, just water exercise in general?
0: No, aquatic therapy is so good. And especially if you're doing like aquatic running or any aquatic aerobic where you are increasing the pressure by um, surfacing and then going back down deep into the water is really good. And I'm just already impressed with the knowledge you're dropping. So keep it going, Cam. Good job.
1: Awesome. Yeah, thank you. You know, you I've been dealing with this since I was 12 years old. So, you know, you, you just have to stay vigilant and you have to keep learning because, you know, the more hungry you are to learn, the more informed you can be to encourage these doctors and specialists and, you know, even massage therapists to increase their knowledge and understanding of, of the lymphatic system, which at this point in time is still relatively limited. So. Um, another uh, tip for summertime and we kind of hinted on this earlier in the conversation is compression i mean compression's key regardless of the time of year or the season and um, betty just gave a great tip of having some of these manufacturers who have maybe a single leg or a single arm so you don't have to have it to be super hot but um, you know wear as much compression as possible And, and as i mentioned earlier bioflex um, they're another company that makes these leggings that breathe pretty well, even in the heat, almost kind of like an under armor material. So definitely recommend checking out, um, maybe some of the non medical grade stuff. So it's not as thick, but it's still giving you some level of compression, which is, you know, better than nothing, especially in the heat. Uh, my third tip for summertime, and again, this could be applied year round, but especially in summertime is, is this is kind of obvious, but just drink plenty of water. I mean, hydration's key for your lymphatic system and you know, removing your salt intake too. I know I used to love to load up my baked potatoes or, you know, my chicken or steak with a little little dash of salt, but I've pretty much removed that altogether. There's there's alternatives you can use like the Mrs. Dash um, salt substitutes because anytime you're having a high salt intake in your diet, it's just gonna dehydrate your system and that's going to negatively impact your lymphatic flow. So drink plenty of water and remove as much salt from your diet as possible uh and then one final tip and um this was given to me uh, not too long ago from from my other massage therapist and this pertains to people who live in some of the hotter states air conditioning is something that's key and i know that especially in the summertime your utility bills can go up if you're you know running that ac all day long or when you are home you know running it at that you know to 72 degree temperature but one thing i want you all to look into is there's a a program that a lot of states um, have it's a medical program that actually gets you a discount on your electric utility bill and the way you can see if you qualify for that there's an application online so just go to google and google medical baseline allowance application so again medical baseline allowance application and you can see if your city and state um, qualifies to basically get you an allowance and a discount on your uh, utility bill for air conditioning because it is important to keep your body uh, you know, relatively cool in the summertime, if at all possible.
0: Those are great tips. All of those are extremely helpful. And I'm actually going to use the baseline allowance application in my treatments this summer because I have a lot of families who... That's something that they're worried about, you know. Am I gonna pay my copay to come see you twice a week? Because they can't mm-hmm. afford five days a week, which is the gold standard. Yep. Am I gonna afford my copay to come see you and the gas to drive over here, or am I gonna pay my utility bills?
1: Yeah. that's the unfortunate part about lymphedema, there are a lot of a lot of costs associated and, you know, unfortunately in the current state of things is a lot of insurance companies and, and medical providers don't recognize lymphedema for the severity a lot of -of out-of-pocket expenses that that are, um, you know, people have to deal with. And that's just so unfortunate that there's, you know, not to say that there's other health conditions that aren't as severe, not to, to devalue them, but I mean, lymphedema is something that people have to deal with every single day, yet it's very much underrepresented from an insurance coverage, you know, perspective.
0: So I want to share just a few lymphedema therapist tips here more than anything That during the summer, you always want to make sure you're not getting too hot. So if you like to garden or you like to do your yard work, do it in the mornings, do it in the evenings. If you have to do it during the day, make sure you have water with you, a cool rag, and you're coming in and out from the heat. And try not to stay in direct sunlight. And as crazy as it may sound, try to wear long sleeves and pants so that it's it's a lightweight pant or a lightweight jacket or shirt but something that protects your skin from the sun so you don't get a sunburn because the sunburn can increase inflammation and increased inflammation. We kind of know how that goes with the lymphedema. And then the also- Skin care in general. Right, skin care, avoiding bug bites, avoiding cuts and scratches. If you're working in the garden or the flower bed, you know, watch out for the rosebush and other little things that could kind of nick you. And then my last one that I really think is important- is hydration. So not just for your body, but also your skin. So make sure you're applying like a pH balancing lotion to keep your skin healthy and hydrated also through the summertime. I would also like to go ahead and throw out just in case anyone has been following some of the Instagram posts that we're having a kids camp in July. It's going to be in Oklahoma. It's the 18th through the 21st. And I think you're going to be there, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I loved me some summer camp as a kid and now as a guest counselor. So, yeah, really excited to go and and participate in that camp and meet these little brave lymphedema warriors. And they're going to give me just as much inspiration as I hope I can pass down to them. And really excited. And, uh, yeah, it will be my first time in Oklahoma.
0: I don't want to offend anyone, Oklahoma. I never really called it home because Texas, I mean, we just have a lot of Texas pride, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but Oklahoma made a pretty good second home and we really loved our time there. And we actually went and visited the campsite recently. And it was so fun just to see friends from there and just kind of reminisce a little bit. So I think you'll, I think you'll like the little bit of Oklahoma that you're going to see.
1: Well, good. Well, I can't wait. And, uh, Super excited to to see you there in a couple weeks and then again there in September in Boston.
0: Cam, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I, one, really loved your tips so much and I just really appreciate you sharing your story with us all. And I just want to ask if you have any more advice or encouragement that you want to leave for the Lymphedema Podcast community.
1: Yes, uh, and, and thank you, Betty, for having me and for all the listeners who tuned in. And You know, my biggest advice could I give to any lymphedema patient or even, you know, a parent or, you know, a friend or family member of someone who's suffering with lymphedema is you have to realize that your pain is your strength and there's going to be rough days and you just have to continue to fight and stay positive. I know that there's going to be times where you wish you could just give up and, you know, want to just blame the world for, you know, the condition you have, but, if you take this condition by the hand and you take the reins and you control your own destiny through your own treatment, which is going to be through your MLD, through your compression, through your hydration and all the other tips we give you earlier in the podcast, then you really can live a fulfilling life. And I'm the prime example of that. Uh, you know, just keep persevering, never give up and stay optimistic and stay informed because there are other treatments and hopefully a cure on the horizon. And I look forward to continuing to be the ambassador and share my story and, and listening to your stories.
0: Mother Teresa says loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. This podcast is here for you to find friendship and a community for your journey with lymphedema. I hope you've enjoyed learning more about Learn Ambassador Cam Ayala and how to manage lymphedema during the summer months. Email me with your story if you would like to share lymphedemapodcast at gmail.com or visit the website lymphedemapodcast.com to submit a topic for another episode.